Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. We're going to be discussing the January transfer window today following two new signings at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and a number of exits. We'll also be reflecting on Steve Hitchens' exit from the club and also looking ahead to Saturday's FA Cup clash against Brighton and Hove Albion. Alistair Gold is joining me as ever. Ali, have you finally recovered from transfer deadline day? Yes, no thanks to a certain Merseyside club who decided that they were going to need a deal sheet just to prolong the uh, Deli Alley transfer, which obviously took us up to almost one in the morning. So thanks to Everton, that was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, a day where six transfers happened um, and we've got so much to talk about because of the repercussions pretty much really of what that means, good and bad, for Tottenham going forward. So now looking forward to it. So we came into the transfer window with Tottenham having three priority positions, right wing back, central midfielder and a new out and out striker. We hardly have one of those positions filled with Rodrigo Bentenker signing from Juventus. He's a central midfielder, can also play uh, slightly deeper in the holding role. And then the other addition was Dejan Kulusevski, also from Juventus. He can play in a variety of uh, roles in attack. Uh, I think he prefers playing maybe as a number 10 just behind the striker. That's what he said in the past. So he's going to give Antonio Conte options. Given Tottenham, we're looking at solving three positions. They've only brought two players in. Are you happy in terms of the incomings? Well, the mathematics don't really work out, do they? <laughs> it's not the greatest stuff <laughs> in the world. Um Oh, it's an interesting one. I'd say I always got the impression that Conte's priority was the one he specifically asked or was a central midfielder. And yes, he got that. So that's something. That's that's a good thing. Um, I think Kulisevsky is a bit of a... Um, I think he fits Conte's system really well. And I'm sure we'll come to that kind of when we properly talk about him. So I do think he's good in that respect. And his versatility means... He does kind of <clears throat> tick maybe with a pencil that um, auxiliary striker role. You know, he's not perfect for it. He's, he's not the natural fit for it, but he can play there along with Bergwijn. Um, obviously, the big glaring kind of gaps are probably the right wing back and the um, and that natural striker position. You know, the natural striker position is just. <laughs> I mean, how many transfer windows? If you look, if you actually to take all the transfer windows where Tottenham have been looking to sign a striker and minus the ones where they actually managed it, my goodness, it's just going to be, it's just ridiculous. Um, back in the day, those Spurs fans who remember the Damien Comley era will always remember desperately calling for a left winger and they never would sign one. They were the most unbalanced team. They just had no one on the left ever able to attack from that side. And Comley even commented it on a, in a um, an interview once. He was like, I don't know why they're so obsessed with a left winger. It's like, because there's no one on the left. <laughs> and this is kind of feels like this with the striker thing. It's like, why are you just playing with one striker all the time? Why is there no backup for Harry Kane ever? And it's like another window has passed without them kind of fixing it. Look, I'm not going to... Yeah, we can't pretend that the January window is the easiest one to bring in a player like that. And I mean... I mean, I suppose you could look at Burnley. Um, they brought in, um, oh, his name's gone out of my head, the chap that... It's uh, Root Weghorst. He was Weghorst, linked with Tottenham previously, yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, could Spurs have gone for someone like that 
I don't know, because to be honest, offering him bit part football over Burnley, telling him you're probably going to play every match, uh, you know, I, I, that's where I think the January window becomes a little bit difficult. But yeah, it is a bit ridiculous. And obviously, Adama Traore was that uh, to be converted wing back, but we all know what happened there. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about the transfers that didn't happen this window as well. Um, you know what I'd say? I. If anyone pushes me to give this window a mark, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. That's what I think it is. I don't think it's as bad as people making it out. There's a lot of people saying it's the most horrendous thing in the world ever and Spurs are completely ruined by it. I wouldn't say that. I'd say they've brought in two signings that fit Conte's shape and squad really well in his mentality. You know, these are two players, especially Bentenker. Bentenker is a three-time Serie A title winner. You know, this guy knows what it is to win and he's only 24. Um, what I would say, where you know, I kind of been speaking to people around Conte recently and his people, and it's like they there's a real sense from him that he's content with what's been done. Every manager wants more. I remember Jose Mourinho saying in a press conference, "If you ever ask a manager about a transfer window, he will always say he wants more." Of course, he will, and that's no different with Antonio Conte. But what I understand is that he's content with the fact that. Pretty much, they've kind of had a cleanse of the dressing room. A lot of those players who, I'm not saying they're troublemakers or bad apples, any of these kind of things, but they were players who were dissatisfied. They were players who weren't starting regularly and they weren't happy about it. So, you know, to move on, Delhi, Giovanni Celso, Tongi Ondembele has completely, will have changed the dressing room in a different way. I'm not saying, you know, some of those are very, Delhi was very popular in the dressing room. You know, Tongi was as well. Gio to a degree, with certain players was. Um, but I think it's more the fact that now you've got a lean, I was going to say a lean, mean fighting machine, which is so cliched. <laughs> it's more like a lean and hungry Tottenham squad. And there's ones that are all kind of attuned and listening to everything Conte says. And, and the, the, there's that kind of, yeah, I think hunger is probably the best word. No one's got any reason to be, you know, Annoyed with him. No one's got any kind of reason to be kind of down in the dumps about stuff. You know, players like Harry Winks and Steven Bergwijn, you know, have been told that he can count on them. They're playing games. They're getting minutes. Um, what's the names? Emerson Royale and uh, Matt Doherty are now the right wing backs. They're going to be playing matches. They are. So it's kind of a battle between them now to see who gets that spot. And maybe Joe Roden would probably be the one player I'd think that maybe be a little bit peeved that he didn't get a lone move and. That wasn't through a lack of interest, you know, clubs in Spain and France and the Premier League looking at him, but just nothing was really attractive enough for him or the club. Um, and then he just needs to get his head down. But I don't get the impression that he's someone that will whinge and moan anyway. So, yeah, I, I think the squad, albeit two men down overall, were two men down that probably weren't going to play very much. And with that in mind, it's probably a better-shaped squad for Antonio Conte. That's probably my feeling on it. I don't know about you. I think it was uh, an all-right window. Uh, I know, like I said at the start, Spurs went into it looking at three priority positions, early managed to solve one of those, but I think the two signings they brought in are good. As you said, Benton Kerr's, you know, got plenty of experience at Juventus in winning the Serie A title. Kulusevski, in and out of the team this year for he had a decent first season at Juventus and I can remember him from his time at Parma where he did really well on loan and I was looking at his stats when he was at 
Atalanta uh, playing in their under-19s and his contribution for goals and assists, I think it was 25 altogether. He might have been 11 goals, 14 assists, either from playing out on the right or playing as an attacking midfielder. So I think that's uh, a good signing. You know, some Tottenham fans might not be happy with that signing, given there was talk of Luis Diaz coming in like a few days earlier. But was Diaz one of these players where they've just got to go for him? Uh, all of a sudden, they could go for him. And unfortunately, Liverpool came in. Liverpool were always going to be interested in him and I think they were probably going to move for him in the summer. But because of Tottenham's uh, attempts to sign him, that just, you know, sprung them into action. And then at the end of the day, that's where he moved. Uh, but I think Kulusevski's a good signing. Yes, he's not an out-and-out striker, but it's not like Tottenham don't have options if Harry Kane's not playing. Steven Bergwijn can play through the middle. Son as well. I know Conte doesn't see him as an out-and-out striker, but there's options there. And then in terms of the right wing back, you know if you're going to have Matt Doherty playing like he did in that second 45 minutes at Leicester, is he a better option there than bringing in Adama Traore, who's not used to that position. Uh, you know, I think everyone was a bit worried about how he would get on as a right wing back. So if Doherty is going to get the game time and can, you know, replicate his form uh, from Wolves, maybe he is the better option at right wing back until in the summer when they can solve it. And for Does me... Does he convert someone else? Does he convert a Bergwijn or a Lucas? Well, there's options there. I mean, we've seen in the past when they played under Jose Mourinho and they've had to play more defensive roles than attacking roles. I think was it Arsenal in the North London derby? Yeah. The 2 1 when Toby Alderweireld scored the winner. I think Lucas yeah. was playing more of a, a defensive uh, right wing back on that day. I think it was like having two right backs in the pitch because I think Serge Aurier was behind him, Lucas just ahead of him, not really pushing up. So, yeah. There's options there, but for me, I don't see the sake of bringing people in for the sake of it, really. I think you've got to be looking at the right players and, you know, if you can't get the right players in the January transfer window, then don't buy and just wait until the summer when, you know, there's more players available and players aren't going to be going for, you know, the prices that could be going in January. So, yeah, then they've done some good business. I think the players who have gone out, needed to go out, probably would have kept Brian Hill out of the four who went on deadline day. But all in all, I think, yeah, decent window and hopefully Spurs can just kick on now. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I mean, if you're looking, if you're going to look at the really kind of cold light of the day, it's a bit like all the month, all the pre-planning since Conte came in, the meeting with Conte, you know, where he gave his evaluation all the scouting lists that would have been drawn up by Pratici and his, and his team and all of that. And on the last day of the window, he just goes to his old club, signs a couple of players, he signed for them. And it's a bit like, oh, you know, this isn't to do down how suitable I still think both players are for the Conte system. I don't think there's any kind of uh, question over that. And I think both players would have been on their lists anyway. But it just, I think the look of it, the perception of it is not great in the final day to then finally just, you know, go for two players that there's been no requirement to scout because perhaps she knows them inside out. You know, he signed one 
God, when it was um, 2017, I think he signed Bentenker for Juventus, and uh, Kulisevsky was 2019, I think. Um, they're very good players. They are. I mean, we might as well talk about them now because, you know, they are two uh, really well-suited players. Then Bentenker, like I said, three-time Serie A title winner, especially the third year of those three. Apparently, he was like the main man, really. He was uh, the midfielder, the best midfielder, in Sarri's bunch, wasn't it? Sarri's year, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it probably was, yeah. yeah when yeah. Sarri were there. Yeah, I'm sure I remember being told by people who watched it that he was the, the main defender, uh, sorry, the main midfielder, really. Um, so he's a guy that can do it. You know, Uruguayan international, of course, scored his first ever goal for Uruguay, didn't he? Like the night after he signed, um, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, there, there's an interesting kind of split in the way people talk about him, you know, Perlo last season described him as being similar to Andres Iniesta in the way that he was so strong on the ball and could hold it and not give it away. Um, he, I saw in his interview yesterday, he kind of describes himself as someone that expertly manages the space in a way. He's really good at kind of anticipating, getting the ball back and then quickly getting it up the pitch, which is exactly what Conte has been asking of Oliver Skip, isn't it? Do you remember when he said that thing? He said he's very good at a lot of things. Now we just need him to make the right decision and when he passes the ball once he gets it back. And that sounds like something that Bentenker maybe is a little bit more accomplished and down the line with. Um, there's some discussion in Italy whether he's better in a two or a three. Um, some talk that in a three he really shines and in a two maybe hasn't looked as great under Allegri this season and that's been the formation shift. So that'll be interesting to see whether... Conte switches to a 3-5-2 to um, make room for him, but then 3-5-2 would also leave out his other new signing. <laughs> so it's quite an interesting one. Um, I'm quite excited. I'd probably say on on the day, I was more kind of excited about Bentenker because he's a, he's a player I probably know a little bit more of. Um, and, you know, there was there was a bit of interest. You know, Villa really wanted him as well, and I think Spurs kind of went in there and, and really did the deal. Um, and I think he adds another really strong option into the centre of the park. Um, Kulisevsky is a really interesting one in terms of, I think, he's a little bit of the unknown. He, he will be more of an unknown, I guess, uh, only 21 years old. But that's not to say he hasn't already done quite a lot. You know, Syria are our young player of the year in the 2019-20 season for that second loan spell he had at Parma when he was superb. Um, ironically, um, Antonio Conte wanted to bring him into into Milan in that previous summer, but it was Juventus and Paratic who managed to get him and then loan him out to Palmer again. Um, he's very versatile, like you said earlier. Um, can play on the right, can play in the number ten role, can play as a, as another striker. I do think, you know, we're just talking about the three five two, but the three four three suits him really well because, especially with Conte's one. He plays with these two number 10s who can either come inside behind Harry Kane or they can go out to the wings. And that suits him down to the ground. Um, I wouldn't say he's the quickest from what I've been told, but he's got a really creative mind, a really good decision maker apparently on the ball as well. Um, and I think he just started to score a few goals like before he left Juve. I think he scored a couple in the last five. I think one against Roma. Um, I can't remember who the other one was. Maybe he was an 80, something like that he scored against as well. Um, so he's coming in kind of 
almost being a bit warmed up for Tottenham, which is quite helpful for Spurs. Um, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see kind of how he works within the system. Obviously, you know, we'll talk about Brian Hill later, but he's kind of, he's a bit of a multi-purpose replacement for not only Hill, but also one of those departing attacking midfielders, um, albeit slightly further up the pitch. Um, yeah, no, I'm intrigued to see him. He, he physically looks settled, set for the Premier League. He looks like that kind of guy that will um, be able to take a hit or two. So, yeah, I, I really, despite my kind of obvious um, thoughts on how the transfers looked and the kind of nature of just dipping back into your old club for two players you signed that they don't really want anymore, which isn't the greatest look in the world, I do actually think that they suit the system quite well. And that, that's one of the key things. I mean, which of the two are you more excited to see? Probably Kulusevski, just because uh, I can remember him just having that really good season at Parma. What then saw Juventus buy him on the permanent deal from Atalanta. Uh, and then just reading about what other players have said about him over the past few years. I know like Ronaldo was waxing lyrical about him, uh, Zlatan as well. Emil Forsberg, who plays with uh, Kulusevski for Sweden, he also said like he's got all the attributes to potentially become, you know, one of the top five in the world. Someone else has likened him to Arjen Robbins. Someone else has also said that he reminds him of a, a young Salah. So I think there's certainly uh, a very good player there. And at the end of the day, if you're not a good player, you're not going to join Juventus, are you? So, no. and play yeah. for Juventus. So I think, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, he's going to fit in at Tottenham. Uh, Conte's got a number of options now. I think we all know Lucas is certainly one of his favourites and then Kulusevski does play on Lucas's side. So it's going to be interesting to see when exactly he comes in, into the team, whether he starts against Brighton on Saturday in the FA Cup and potentially a Premier League debut next Wednesday uh, against Southampton as well. So yeah, I think Tottenham made a good sign in there with Kulusevski and I think Benson Kerr's also a good player, plenty of experience playing in Serie A. You know, Aston Villa were really keen on him as well, trying to get him in before the January transfer deadline. But it was Spurs who got him, and I think Spurs got really good deal for Benton Kerr as well, haven't they? I, think it's... I was just about to talk about that. Yeah, the finances are really interesting. You know, they'll only pay £15.86 million for him, which and that's payable over three years. So it's not exactly like they have to stump it all up right now. And there's an extra £5 million on top if certain objectives are met during the time, you know, all these performance-related things. So, yeah, I mean, in all, could be over £20 million, but it's spread out. And Kulisevsky is an interesting one as well because, you know, kind of we forget it's an 18-month loan. It's like, it's it's another one where they've kind of pushed off payments. So they'll have £2.5 million this season, 5.8 for next season. And then within that 18 months, there's an obligation to buy him if he presumably pays an amount of appearances or, or whatever it is. There'll be loads of conditions. Um, and if not, either way, uh, there'll be an option or an obligation and both for 29.2 million, which when you look at it, if he is a big success in the Premier League or even a moderate success in the Premier League, that fee will be very little probably at that time for that sort of player. So, yeah, you know, as much as I kind of mock the... Oh, and also that 29.2 million pounds in 18 months' time, would then have five years for Spurs to pay it. You see, 
people wondering why we've managed to get all of these finances, it's because foreign clubs, unlike Premier League clubs, brilliantly pretty much always give us the full financial breakdown of a transfer deal, which is wonderful for journalists like ourselves. Um, and for you guys to get more of an understanding of exactly how this works. Um, so, yeah, I think financially, which I know is not to be all an end-all for fans, they're not really that fussed about that. But actually, in terms of the club, and then you take that into account, you take the probably almost half a million pounds off the wages that they've taken with the players that have gone, it all sets up the summer, and it sets them up to be able to really go for that proper overhaul. And uh, I don't think it's any bad thing at all. No, uh, Paratici does really like to work that way in terms of, you know, bringing players in on loan with an option to buy. We saw that in the summer. Christian Romero from Atalanta. Pierluigi Gallini as well, similar deal. And he also did exactly the same during his time at Juventus as looking at his previous uh, transfer windows there. And an awful lot of those were loan deals with an option or an obligation to buy. So I think that's something we'll probably be seeing more of at Tottenham over uh, the coming years. Shall we move on to outgoings now? Yes, sadly, yes. And I know Who do you want to start to... with? Do you want oh, to start with Tongi? Yeah, Tongi. Right, so Tongi is now back at Leon. I think it was 1.18 million. They've got him for on loan for the rest of the season. There's an option in there for them to purchase at the end of the season for 54 million. And Tongi yesterday had his unveiling in front of the press in France. And it was actually interesting to see uh, what everyone said because there was uh, Jean-Michel Aulis there, the Lyon president, was also the director of football. And Bruno Bruno Sheru, who used to play for Liverpool, can't remember his exact title there, but they were basically were saying they all thought getting uh, Tongi back was going to be unattainable for him. They didn't think that deal was going to be possible at all because everyone thought he was going to reunite with Maurizio Pochettino in Paris, but in the end, that didn't happen. And uh, what Ponzon said, the director of football, was basically Tongi's asked for that uh, purchase clause to be put into his contract whether Leon will be able to afford that 54 million at the end of the season remains to be seen. But I think it's just a chance for Tongi to get back to a place where he's comfortable at and just, you know, play his football again. But what he did mention uh, during his press conference, yes, he did mention that he's had five different managers in two and a half years at Tottenham. We also said his time at Tottenham's not over yet. So we may not have seen the last of Tongi in the Tottenham shirt. Ali, I take it you've bought a Leon season ticket now, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, if we had any budget for this podcast, we'd have something like time to say goodbye playing in the background behind <laughs> me as I speak. Um, ah, Tongi. Um, at least he's happy now. That's the main thing, I guess. And Tottenham have got him off the wage bill. I think the bulk of it, I'm not sure, entirely sure the breakdown, but I think Leon are taking a bulk of his wages. Um, you know, as he, you said in that press conference, he, he did say, you know, I still belong to Tottenham. I could play for Tottenham next year. And what I would say is that option to buy. <laughs> um, I'd be stunned if Leon decide, you know, that player we sold you um, for all of that money. Uh, why don't we have him back for almost exactly the same amount of money? It's like, yeah, I can't really see that happening. But what could happen? 
is he could go back to Ligon and he could smash it. He could be in a team where maybe there's a little less pressure on him to do the things on the ball that Tottenham wanted him to do as well. Sorry, off the ball. Um, and he'll have some, you know, we're going to have some weeks. You and I are doing our loan roundup that we do every week. We'll have loads of things that Tongi will do. There'll be YouTube compilations coming out, the incredible things we know he can do. And maybe some other club in the summer will decide, you know what, Let, let's try and sign him. Um, it'll be one of those where perhaps if he's done that well, maybe Leon look at it and think, well, we'll sign him and sell him on, you know, as um, Atalanta did with, with Romero and Tottenham. But uh, it's a sad, it is a sad one. Yes, I know he lost a lot of the support with his slow Morecambe walk. Um, but it's just sad that the, the signing itself just didn't work out. You know, Spurs club record signing, I think it's a kind of an admission of probably failure on his part that he's now back at Leon again. Um, you know, he said that thing, which I thought was a little bit silly in his press conference yesterday about having played for five different managers and almost like saying that that was a bad thing about the club. I mean, yes, it is. Don't get me wrong. It is bad that Tottenham have had that amount of managers in such a short space of time. But it's also a bad thing that pretty much none of them have really... Well, let's put it the other way. Every single one of them, barring Potch, who wasn't there for long, has had some kind of issue with Tongi. And, you know, when that happens, it's a bit like, come on, a little bit of introspective thought. Let's, let's look at yourself in this scenario as well. Um, he's an interesting one, Tongi. You know, I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times, once at real length. You know, we sat down for almost an hour with him. And he's he's... He's not daft. He's, he's quite a clever chap. He's very interesting to talk to. But one thing maybe I didn't see from him was maybe maybe too much self-reflection. Um, and that could be his age, you know. But we've all been there. We've all kind of been younger and we think it's always everyone else's fault. And perhaps that's part of it. I don't know. And maybe as he gets older, he'll start to um, to take that on board. I don't know. But, you know. There's not too much more I can add on Tongi. Incredibly gifted, but that's not enough. There's more that needs to be done, and um, we'll see what the future holds for him. I think uh, he's a Spurs have lost a game changer. He has that ability to do that, bring that little bit of magic. But I just don't think Conte ever really wanted him. You know, remember I asked him, didn't I, within a couple of weeks about him, and he was like. Yeah, well, he's got to essentially play for the team, not himself. And it was like, okay, <laughs> he's saying that a couple of weeks in. I think we know where this is going. Um, so, yeah, you know, good, best of luck to him. And, and, you know, he did a nice message to Spurs fans and all that, saying I hope the rest of the season is good for you. Um, and, yeah, we'll see what comes next. I did find it funny what he said in terms of uh, played in five, under five managers over the past two and a half years. But now I'm going to go play for a six different manager. So exactly. <laughs> basically with that Leon move. So yeah, he's going to be really interesting to see how he gets on uh, back at Leon. Obviously, there's just such a talented player in there. And it was only really last season where we saw it over a consistent period under Jose Mourinho. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just not worked out. I mean, he was, he still is. We're going to miss yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely miss the warm-ups, the uh, walk down the touchline. But as if I was saying... the Morecambe walk was slow, watch his <laughs> warm-ups. <laughs> yeah, as I was saying, he's obviously Tottenham's club record signing, but 
with transfers, there's just no guarantee that they're ever going to, you know, work out as planned. And this one hasn't. And another fellow 2019 summer arrival, Giovanni Lo Celso, this one's just not worked out either. Seems to be brilliant when he's playing for Argentina. <laughs> for Tottenham, we've not really said uh, seen the best of him. Yes, he's played in a number of positions at Tottenham. He's suffered a number of injuries, what's meant he's been unavailable for a large part of his Tottenham career, but he's now at Villarreal on loan. Do you think he'll uh, get back to his best in Spain? Because, I mean, Maurizio Pochettino obviously wanted to bring him to the club going on that terrific season at Real Betis. Yeah, I think he's back in his probably his comfort zone um, over there, um, you know, with some old Spurs boys in, in Foyth and uh, Aurier as well. I think Gio's an interesting one. I'd say I'm probably more surprised that he went out of those three, the, the ones that kind of were shipped out. I feel like his characteristics maybe lent themselves more to Conte. And I actually think, ironically, the position he plays so well for Argentina on the left of a midfield three probably would have suited him really well in Conte's 3-5-2. But, you know, it, it's not something we're clearly going to see. I think the writing was on the wall, wasn't it, really, uh, before that Chelsea game when it was just like, whoop, you're out. <laughs> and he was like, I'm fine, I'm fit, hello. <laughs> and he was like putting that thing up on Instagram. I was like, oh, okay, Conte's very clearly got you on his list of get stuff, um, essentially, and his evaluation. Um, Gio is a strange one in terms of, in different ways to Tongi, he's got skill, he's got the ability to thread a pass, he can dribble. I mean, that run he did against Southampton in the FA Cup, where everyone suddenly thought, oh my goodness, he's like a proper dribbler, which we never really ever saw again. Um, it always reminds me of, I always go back to Christian Eriksen, his debut, I think it's against Norwich, did this incredible dribble all the way to the touchline. I think he either hit the post or the keeper saved his shot. And everyone kind of thought, oh, wow, Christian Eriksen's a dribbler. It was like, no, he never was. <laughs> it was just this kind of false advertising thing. And with, with Lo Celso, he, he had moments um, like that. And obviously, I, I can't couldn't help but laugh when someone did a, a tribute video, you know, Giovanni De Celso's Premier League goals, a compilation, and it was the only goal he'd scored in the Premier League with the Man City goal. And it was like, okay. Um, and that kind of sums it up, really. It's like he's turned it on in moments. He's had performances where you can see his assets to the team. You can see those three months, essentially, where he earned himself the, the permanent deal. And then afterwards, he was superb. He hasn't been helped by injuries, of course, a few of them picked up on international duty, which only increased the frustration around him. Um, and yeah, and, and now he heads off with it's a it's there's an option to buy, which you know I've had confirmed. Yet he's the one that we've got this kind of there's a vagueness about how much the fee is. No one seems to be able to kind of uh, answer that. It'd be interesting to see whether because Villarreal didn't put anything out whatsoever about it. It was a bit odd. Um, but yeah, he's actually the one that I thought if anyone was maybe going to go on a permanent, funnily enough, I thought it'd be him purely because of value-wise. I thought he was the one with the value. As an Argentina international, there was a lot of interest in him. I think he turned down a few uh, moves as well. And that's why we ended up with Villarreal. Um, yeah, funny character, Gio. The fans really turned on him towards the end. Um, I think because of the international element to it and the injuries, 
And obviously there were a few corners that didn't beat the first man, which, yes, we've seen videos of. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for him was that with all the ability I spoke of, I still don't think we ever really found out where he's meant to be on the pitch. He, he was used a lot in an attacking midfield role, yet his goals and assists were, to be completely honest, dreadful for a, a player of his quality. Um, and when he was in central midfield, probably didn't fit as well in the English game into that, maybe. Maybe that's why Conte just couldn't see him in that role. Um, but, you know, we've just spoken about two players that cost about 110, 115 million in total for Tottenham, and both have been loaned out after two and a half years, which on one hand shows the poor recruitment, the choices made to bring them in, uh, with hindsight, of course. But on the flip side, I think it also shows the power that Conte now wields at Tottenham, that he's been able to say, yeah, you know, your two biggest signings in your history, get them out. <laughs> and get them out on loan, I don't care. Just lose it, you know, essentially chuck away that money. Um, and, you know, and Spurs have done it. We, we're often saying about back Conte, and, and obviously we mean that in incomings, but it also does apply to outgoings, and I think they're the two biggest examples of that. Just going back to what you said, obviously some will be saying it's poor recruitment. Mm. Can you say it's poor recruitment if, you know, Maurizio Pochettino wanted Tongi on the belly? He was obviously the number one target that summer and he also wanted Giovanni Lacelso. So is that poor recruitment or is it just the fact that the transfer just hadn't gone to plan? A um, bit of both because the manager wanting a player, I suppose, is also part of recruitment. You know, that, that's he, he will... Every recruitment decision is always signed off um, finally, in a way, by the manager or the head coach. And then obviously, finally, finally, by Daniel Levy, the man who pushed the green um, the green light. So Tongi, I mean, we're going to talk about this more when we talk about Steve Hitchin, but Tongi was someone pushed by both Poch and Steve Hitchin. They both really wanted Obviously, Steve Hitchin's background is in Ligue 1. So anyone involved in the French League, that's really is... You know, he's, from everything I understand, he's a very knowledgeable chap across kind of world football, but France was always his kind of area of expertise. That was why I remember Liverpool took him as well because of that. Um, so he and... I think there was a feeling that maybe slightly overlooking how Tongi had been, you know, there was... It, it, like Some people have said, like, oh, couldn't everyone see what Tongi was like? You know, is that not obvious in his previous clubs? I was like, well, yes, it was. Every previous coach would have spoken about the fact that you know, he needs a lot of work. He hasn't got the consistency. He could occasionally let his standards drop and his conditioning and things like that. So, yeah, it's not like they would have gone in thinking, like, not knowing any of that. Every angle would have been covered. But I think Poch and Steve Hitchin both felt that Pochettino was the man that could change that. And, you know, I suppose in, in a, we'll never really know because he only had a couple of months with him. He had a few niggly injuries that kind of kept him out of uh, some of those games under Poch. And we'll never really know whether that was the case. And I think it said a lot that Poch wanted him back at PSG in the summer as well, this summer, and it didn't happen. So, yeah, definitely with Tongi, there's an element of, yeah, people just wanting him at the club and, and unfortunately it didn't work. With Gio, Gio was slightly different. I understand he was slightly further down the list. I think, you know, Spurs wanted to get Bruno Fernandes. It didn't happen. I think Paolo Dybala as well, and that didn't happen. And I think he was turned to a little bit later in the window. Poch liked him, um, and that's why Gio came in as well. And, and obviously, you know, as I say, he seems a guy that on paper, 
is suited to the Premier League. His characteristics, the aggressive way he plays, he really was. But, you know, what did he pick up an injury within a month, didn't he, on international duty? That was it, a hip injury. Hip injury, uh, yeah. 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 And it just, yeah, that summer of 2019, which, again, I think we'll talk about when we talk about hitching, it's like, it doesn't look good now in hindsight, does it? It was such an exciting summer, and now it's looking like one of the most costliest, awful transfer window summers at Tottenham, I think. Since we were talking about Celso, will stay in Spain, and in Valencia, Brian Hill is uh, now a Valencia player after completing a low move on transfer deadline day, obviously brought to the club in the summer in a deal which saw Eric Lamella heading in the opposite direction. Hill, you know, he's had a few minutes here and there in the Premier League, a bit more in the European competition. But again, he's just someone who's not going to get a run in the team at the moment. For me, I personally would have kept him because I think Spurs are a bit short on attacking options on the bench now. Place, you know, to come off the bench and try and make a difference. Yes, I can understand the need for him to go out and learn and get those minutes what he wants. But then... Why send him to La Liga? You know what you're going to get with him in, in La Liga. Surely if you want him to become a future Premier League star for Tottenham, surely send him to a fellow Premier League club. You know, someone like Brighton who play really good, attractive football, maybe the suit of them or someone else. Uh, but Spurs have decided that Valencia is his next club. And he did play last night and it sounds like he played pretty well against Caddies in the Copa del Rey. Got 90 minutes under his belt as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the one transfer that I probably wasn't ecstatic about um, because, like you, I felt that if you did have to loan him out, which I kind of slightly disagree with to a point, but, you know, who am I? Because <laughs> I'm not Tottenham's <laughs> recruitment head or anything like that. Um, but I think if you were going to loan him out, then yes, a Premier League club. I suppose if I'm going to play devil's advocate, maybe there was no real interest from a Premier League club or one that could offer him guaranteed starts, you know, to improve his position. So I, like you, would have kept him. I think he's shown enough little glimpses thus far in, in the opportunities he's been given, which haven't been very much. Um, every time he started a match, he started in an absolute mess of a Tottenham team that has had players all over the place really not showing anything. He's probably been one of the rare bright lights in some of those games as well. You know, he's got a great work ethic. He works really hard. He's got skill. He's creative. He can beat a man. He can make things happen. And yeah, I, I 100% agree that if I'm looking at that bench for a little bit of a, a person that can have, have a bit of an effect on a game late on, perhaps, that, that would be Brian Hill. But then I also appreciate the fact that what I'm told from those within the club is that at 20 years old, he's such a talent, he needs to be starting every match right now to help his development. And this is what they see as a crucial stage. Um, and yeah, you know, we've seen it straight away. He's gone to Valencia, apparently had an absolutely cracking night last night, was really, really good on his debut. Um, and they're likely to pretty much start him in every single game. And, and he will... There's been no, you know, there was absolutely no question of a, an option to buy him. He's got a long contract at Spurs. Spurs very much see him as one for the future. They just felt it was better for his development to get that game time and he'll come back in the summer and hopefully really challenge for a spot under Conte. Um, yeah, I, I'm not ecstatic about it. I, I'm really not. Uh, I, 
presumably by the arrival of Kulisevsky, who's obviously physically a bit of a bigger chap. It maybe suggests that Conte felt he wasn't ready yet, Hill. Um, and yeah, and hopefully he'll come back a little bit, a bit stronger. But you know, this is a guy who, you know, we were reading, you were reading off the kind of the praise about Kulisevsky earlier. You know, this is a guy who last season when he was with, um, it was Ibar, wasn't it, wasn't he, and, um, on loan, you know, there was one of the Barcelona scouts is quoted as saying he was the most talented player in Spain last season. And he reminded him of Neymar when he was young. And, and you know, Luis Enrique, the Spain manager, is, you know, he he raved about him as well. And he thinks he's like the, the next kind of, the, the, the future of Spanish kind of attacking football and all that. So, yeah, hopefully it does him good. Another one for our lone roundup where I think people are going to have to be keeping a close eye on kind of our reports because if they're not watching him, we'll, we'll be providing you with every little cough and spit of what he's getting up to there at Valencia. Um, yeah, sad to see him go. And I think people within Spurs were as well. I think he was the one they, you know, that, that's no, that's harsh because that's saying that people just didn't care about the other guy. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but I think with, with him... He'd been there such a short space of time and he was starting to settle in. And, um, you know, again, if we're talking about the power that Conte is wielding to get the club to send out a £25 million or so signing from six months ago, it shows that he kind of gets what he wants right now, which is, uh, which is a good thing, I think, in terms of Tottenham and where they want to go. But I do wonder whether there'll be games where you and I will be writing if only he had Hill to turn to on the bench. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but I fear it might be. Yeah, I think it might be as well with that, uh, the lack of options on the bench. Right, we'll move on from the players who went out on loan uh, to one who left permanently on Monday evening. It's about 20 past midnight when Delhi Alley's move to Everton was finally confirmed. So we'll talk about Delhi. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just not gone right for him, has it, over the past few seasons? Probably since, like, the 2018 World Cup. He's just had a number yeah. of injuries. And, yeah, now Delhi's an Everton player. So, I mean, do you want to give your thoughts, first of all, on Delhi going? <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, I'm looking at it from an outgoing perspective. You've got a slight incoming perspective to it as well. It'd be really fascinating. Um, for me, it was one of those I'd kind of felt I'd prepared myself for and then I'll absolutely readily admit um, I felt quite sad when it happened I saw the uh, Tottenham put out their video of him which was a really nicely crafted video with not only kind of highlights of the incredible goals he scored but also just the moments of Delhi as a person and the, the laughs and the light he kind of brought to that team kind of talking as if he's died or something um, <laughs> And then Delhi himself, you know, the next day did another similarly really lovely video and also a really nice message to everyone at Tottenham, you know, saying it's a, the closing of a chapter, not the book. And it was very, very well written. I'm sure, well, I say I'm sure, he may have written it all himself. He might have got some help from more educated people than myself. Um, but, yeah, I felt sad. I did feel sad because it's just such a sense of what might have been. You know, this is a guy who for let's say two and a half, three years, was up there with the best young players in Europe. He really was. And, you know, we also, we all, you know, we've just spoken about Gio and Tongi, and we speak about these glimpses, these little things they've shown. Deli Ali was a big player in big games. There was no flat track bullying going on there. You know, he was scoring against Arsenal, Chelsea, 
uh, Man United, Man City, Real Madrid. This was a guy that just like you could trust him despite his age in the big games. And and for me, um, I just identify him really still, I think, with an era of Tottenham Hotspur that I think we just haven't seen in so long. You know, the, the way that the fans identified with that prime pot era was incredible. And I think Delhi was kind of at the forefront of that. He was this really young, talented guy who not only had this incredible instinct to just arrive in the box at the right time and score these wonderful goals, but he was also just just a bit of a breath of fresh air at Tottenham. You know, Spurs fans were a little bit oh, fed up, with essentially, with everything that had been happening there beforehand. You know, they'd had the Andre Villas-Boas season all go a bit pear-shaped, some of the football not being great. They'd had Tim Sherwood, which, let's be honest, the less said the better. I know he's got some fans out there, but it wasn't great. Um, there were a lot of heavy, heavy defeats. And then Poch came in and just... He brought all of these young players. There was this new energy to the team. And I think Delhi absolutely represented that. He was just a funny guy. And he had these like romances with um, uh, Eric Dyer and then later Sonny as well. It's just, just had everyone, just put a smile on everyone's face on the pitch and off of it. Um, and it's just such a shame kind of where it went. You know, I'll always kind of, my feeling will always be, and this sounds far harsher than I mean it to be, that, in a way, it was Sonny's fault that Delhi became kind of started to drop off a cliff. You know, only partly. I'm joking. It is partly, but I'll always feel that Sonny's emergence as a real superstar kind of came in the role where Delhi was best at. You know, we know Delhi was best at playing off of Kane, and and that was where he got the majority of his goals. His assists for Kane they had like this kind of almost a telepathic link up at sometimes, but then. Sonny emerged, and Sonny is fantastic, and Sonny is one of the best players in the world. He certainly, you know, when he's on a consistent run, he really is. And I feel his emergence kind of meant that Potch started to look for alternatives for Delhi, and Delhi got pushed out to the left, which didn't really suit him. And then we've seen with subsequent managers, none of them have really found a place for him. And, and you know, I, I jest when I say that it's Sonny's fault, because really it's more... Delhi's fault for failing to adapt, I guess. It, it's more him for not then um, going on from being a young player he was to a more all-round player because, ironically, he's going to a club with a manager who probably was... I know he was a massive Gerrard fan, Delhi, when he was young, but Lampard was also quite a good... Maybe uh, like a comparison, I guess, for a version of Delhi, someone that could also arrive in the box and score those goals uh, at the last seconds and, and you, you know, players would lose them as they make those runs. And Lampard really was an, uh, should be an inspiration as someone that was able to do that consistently over such a long period of time. And Delhi, obviously, you know, I've seen all the cliched stuff about, you know, he was a bright candle that burnt out and all this sort of stuff. It's like, well, no, 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 you know, there's ways. There's the, the players that are the most consistent are the ones that constantly evolve and develop their game, and, and they can continue. And that's just what Delhi hasn't been able to do. Obviously, hamstring problems. He's had those as well. They've played their part. Um, but yeah, I do feel sad. I feel sad that I knew it. Was, we all knew it was coming. You know, when you've had a string of managers that just cannot fit you in their team, Spurs kind of clung on to him for probably slightly too long not really wanting to sell him. It was all about loan deals um, or, or potentially trying to find loan deals for him, which never came. And now he's gone. He is completely gone. And obviously, 
if anyone's not aware, it's it's a really interesting way that the fee is made up. It's, it's initially a free transfer. Um, if he plays 20 matches, I think Spurs then get 10 million. Um, and then in total, with all the add-ons that potentially could be there with various conditions are met, it could be up to about 40 million. Um, obviously, the way it's also been structured, those 20 games are not going to happen this season. He's cup tied, so those final games, if he were to play every single game, would be next season. There's a part of me that wonders whether it's financial fair play related. You know, you more than anyone will know that Everton had those issues in the past, and, and obviously they've made a fair few moves this month, which makes me wonder just the way... Obviously, they couldn't do a loan because Everton have got two domestic loans already. Uh, that's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. got two in now. Yeah, so they couldn't do a loan. Um, if they'd done a permanent transfer with that sort of money, maybe that would have been a problem for Everton. So they've kind of done it this other way in terms of, I presume, then that will go, yeah, it will. So any payment for Delhi, if he does the 20 games, will happen in the next financial year, which surely would help their financial fair play element. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's still risk from Tottenham's side. You know, what if he has a bad injury and he never ends up playing those 20 games in two and a half years? It's hopefully never going to happen, but we've seen it in some footballers, these things can happen. But uh, yeah, it's really sad. I mean, I'd, I'm really fascinated to know what your perspective is as someone that is particular about a certain Merseyside club. You know, what, what are your thoughts on him going in and, and how he'll fit into Everton? Right. I'll talk from a Tottenham perspective first before going yeah. on to Everton. Uh, that montage video, what he put on social media, I thought was brilliant. And I'm just you thinking, tried. no, I didn't, but I'm sure some Tottenham fans did, including yourself. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't, but I was very sad. I was. Yeah, so watching that video, two things came into my head. It's basically, what's happened to that player? when he first joined Tottenham and the other one, why are you letting him go? Especially on like a free transfer because of uh, obviously the clause in the deal where Everton will pay 10 million after 20 games. And yeah, you're just looking back at some of the goals, especially one of my favourites was probably that one at Chelsea when the one Eric Dyer's long ball over the top, just controlled it on his chest, really quick finish. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and I think when he came to Tottenham in 2015, to be honest, there's not going to be many players who come from League One and become a Premier League regular straight away. It was just a breath of fresh air, really, in that first year. And I think very similar to probably when Wayne Rooney came through at Everton, a street footballer, had a bit of a edge to his game, you know, a bit of devilment in there didn't really care for reputations he was gonna you know embarrassed you know seasoned pros and that's exactly what he did and for the first three years at Tottenham he was absolutely fantastic and now you know three years ago if someone said to you Deli Ali will leave you on a free transfer in January 2022 you know, it's just unthinkable if Delhi was going to move at some point you were thinking yeah, Real Madrid or Barcelona, 100 million plus move, not on the free transfer. So it's such a shame what's happened to him over the past few years. I think, yeah, a number of hamstring injuries and that have played uh, an impact on what's happened to him. But there's just no place for him 
in Antonio Conte's Tottenham setup at the moment was just really sad because there's such a good player there and he's still only 25. So he's still got his whole career ahead of him. And I saw a clip on Twitter the other day. It was Jose Mourinho's conversation with him from the Amazon Prime documentary. And some were saying, did that message actually go into him? Did he take it on board? What Jose was saying, basically, you're a top player, but some top players just have moments and some top players go on to be, you know, established top players and delivering on a consistent basis. And, you know, he started off really well under Jose, those first four games or so. A couple of goals against Bournemouth, really good one against Manchester United, but he just didn't feature, did he? under Jose and you've said it a number of times you just want to know what happened at half time of that Everton game on the opening game of last season ironic it was Everton wasn't it yeah. <laughs> when you look back yeah. at it I'll tell you what just very quickly on that thing you say about the Amazon um, documentary conversation as a parent and probably any parents listening to that and who have seen that will know that conversation that is a conversation where one person is telling them what they need to do and the other person is sitting there going whatever that's <laughs> what they're sitting there doing they're not saying that but their face is just going yeah yeah you crack on yeah whatever you think mate yeah and you know and i hope he wasn't but just i, I felt that as a parent watching that it seemed like a, a paternal moment where the younger person in it was just thinking yeah i know how great i am you know but you know I do I do hope he comes good i really really do because it just needs to be reignited really Delhi. and hopefully you know your lot can do that. Yes. So from an Everton perspective now, I am happy he's uh, made the move. He is a really, really good player in there, as all Tottenham fans know, and it's just getting it out of him. I think Frank Lampard can help do that. Obviously, Frank, Chelsea's all-time top scorer. He you know, scored some fantastic goals, making those late runs into the box the same as Delhi, and I think Frank even said, was it in 2017, Delhi was better than he was at his age, and Delhi was breaking all these records. So hopefully Frank can get it out of him. I, I think in terms of getting Delhi back to his previous best, probably is just getting that edge back to the back to his game. Whether he has lost that, you know, bit of devilment, and it's just a case of now. How do you get it back in there? How does he, you know, rediscover that hunger? Uh, it's got to be really up, interesting. Yeah, his note that that message was very obvious. He only support. It was only Potch he mentioned, you know, for the love he showed him, and and I think maybe Lampard will give him that. Yeah, uh, it's got to be really interesting to see how exactly he fits into the Everton team now because. Obviously, uh, Donny van der Beek signed on loan on deadline day now. Whether, I don't know, can Donny van der Beek play as a, a central midfielder in the 4 2 3 1, or is he just more of an attacking midfielder? Are you saying that Everton have got loads of attacking midfielders, where Spurs now have hardly any? Well, we had loads in 2017 where we signed about four number 10s and only one of them could play. That. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting whether. Lampard does go with a 4-3-3 maybe and Delhi takes on that role as he did under Nuno on the left of a midfield three. I don't know, or he plays in his favoured role just behind uh, the striker, which will be Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, it could be really you interesting. To, surely, you have to. Yeah. You're gonna say, you have to put him back to where he's best. Yeah, 
But then the question is, where does Van der Beek play then? So that that's one for Lampard to solve. But for me, Delhi's got a big, big point to prove because over the past few years, he has looked a shadow of his former self, unfortunately. Uh, a move can work wonders for some players and fingers crossed it does happen for him. I mean, it's 2022 now. We are in the World Cup year. Potentially, if he can uh, rediscover his form, could he be in with a shout for the World Cup squad? The thing is, since he was last involved, there's a number of players in his position now. So he does have a fight on his hands if he's going to be the case. But I think it's a good deal for Everton. I don't know if he'll reach 40 million in the end because we never win a trophy. So I don't I don't <laughs> actually know the specifics of the clauses. And really, I mean, if say if he has an absolute worldy of a season for the rest of the year, could Everton sell him before he plays those 20 games? Oh, that'd be a bit of a snide move. There's a way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) He's essentially using it as like a a stock, some shares, to just sell on. Um, I hope not. (laughs) No, I don't think that'd go down well at all, especially with Daniel Levy. Well, Uh, I was going to say, knowing knowing the way Spurs operate, there's probably some clause in there that if they do sell him on before that, Spurs get a cut of it or something. Yeah, so, yeah, two and a half year two and a half year deal for Delhi at Goodison. Uh, Which isn't long. Yeah. I was actually surprised at that. Yeah. Uh, well, the same as what Lampard got as well. I think he was two and a half year. But, I mean, you can understand that from bringing the new manager in. You don't know how that's going to work. Uh, yeah. It's all down to Delhi now. Hopefully we do see the Delhi of 2015 to 2018 at Everton and he will be back at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium very soon, Monday 7th of March, when Everton make the trip there in the Premier League. So, I think a yeah. certain chant might be sung a little bit that night. Yes, I think so as well. <laughs> right, shall we move on from Delhi uh, to another exit? Steve Hitchin, the news came out yesterday that he's resigned from his position at Tottenham. Uh, Perhaps not a surprise to many, given Fabio Paratici's arrival at the club in July. Were you surprised then, Ali, or were you expecting it? Um, I was expecting it at some point. Yeah, it was just, it was just, I think, a matter of when. Um, you know, from everything I understand, I don't think he's been best pleased since last summer. You know, he's. I don't think he expected Paratici to come in, and, and which is strange in itself because. They are friends, you know, from everything I've been told, they are quite friendly, the two of them. So, you know, it's like any of us, if we're in a job, uh, we work our way up the various levels, we get to a certain level and then the boss without us kind of knowing brings in someone who's going to take on the bulk of the stuff we enjoy doing. You're, a, you're essentially going to look for a way out uh, as the months progress. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand that, he sent out uh, what was quite a heartfelt email to all the staff at Tottenham today, uh, sorry, yesterday uh, on Wednesday, saying, just explaining the reasons behind his decision is um, resigning after it's five years, but in total, if you take out a little bit where he was at Liverpool in the middle, so a little bit, I think it was about seven years. If you take out a big chunk in the middle at Liverpool, you know, he's, he's, he spent almost a decade at Spurs. Uh, so, yeah, he sent this um, nice email out, I'm told that, 
thank to everyone, all the behind the scenes staff for everything they do and that they're kind of the people that have been there through the highs and lows at Tottenham. He's expressed his honour working for such a club and the different managers he's worked under or with. Um, and also a bit praise for Daniel Levy for allowing him to have the opportunity in the first place and also understanding his need to go on to um, new opportunities. Those new opportunities <laughs> look like it could be potentially Everton um, with Newcastle showing some interest as well. And I think that says a lot about him. He's He's become this really unfortunately this kind of almost like a scapegoat, kind of almost clown character on social media, all because of this Amazon documentary moment where if you took it in its entirety, it was an absolutely understandable conversation about the January window and how difficult it is, how it's, in his own word, um, it's not a, a transfer window you can plan in. It's one of panic. It's where desperate teams go to for anything they can try and get, which is absolutely right. The problem is, he used those infamous three words at the end of his sentence, I hate it. And it was within the middle of a big, long monologue. It was about two paragraphs in. So obviously, social media took I hate it, stuck it on a meme of him looking angry. And that essentially became Steve Hitchin because ultimately, you know, those who kind of watch on from the outside, that's all they're aware of. And I completely understand that. You know, you end up creating these images of people and what they do, whereas the truth is is quite different. You know, this was a guy who was very, very popular with every manager. He had the back. From what I understand, I've spoken to a lot of people in the last few days about who are connected with every manager that's been uh, during his time. And each one all said the same thing. He had their back. He always fought their corner on everything. And Poch and he, you know, Poch is not a big fan of the whole director of football thing. He really doesn't like that structure. But with Steve Hitchin, he was very, very close, really, really close. I was speaking to people in Poch's camp today, and they were saying, you know, the football knowledge that Steve Hitchin has is, like, incredible. It's like an encyclopedic knowledge of of players across the world. Um, and, the, yeah, and that they think that, Whoever gets him next is going to have this massive asset um, in their camp. Mourinho was a big uh, fan of his as well during their time. That summer, 2022, uh, sorry, 2020, which with hindsight, as pretty much with every transfer window, unfortunately, at Tottenham, you, you kind of reassess things. But Mourinho had these targets that he wanted. And Hitchin, to be fair, delivered them. You know, the likes of Hoybier, Regulon, uh, Matt Doherty was someone that, that Mourinho wanted as well. Um, and he also worked with Levy to bring in Gareth Bale, you know, the transfer that I think a lot of Spurs fans wanted. So Mourinho got a lot of what he wanted. And then from what I understand, Conte loves him. I think we're going to see this tomorrow in Conte's press conference. I'm sure if it's not me, someone will ask about Steve Hitchin. I think you'll see him gush and praise um, Steve Hitchin as well. You know, this is a guy who essentially caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place, his role. His role was always to either sign the players that the manager wanted, get them what they want, back the manager, or it was to sign the top-rated players that the club scouting department had said, you know, these boys will be fantastic. And then ultimately, it was whether Daniel Levy pushed the button or not. So, you know, so Steve Hitchin, I certainly know, um, negotiated deals to an advanced stage for Bruno Fernandes, let's say, Jack Grealish, Paolo Dybala. They were all getting there. 
And also at the Tottenham, Daniel Levy, for whatever reasons, maybe some valid, maybe some financial, I don't know, whatever reasons, they were not pushed through. So, you know, I think people see that and they say, oh, Steve Hitchens failed recruitment. It's like, well, well, no, because he kind of did his part of things and then it's down to the club. And, you know, we touched on it earlier. Pochettino wanted Tongi. Um, to be fair, on Tongi, from what I understand, it was very much Poch and Steve Hitchin pushing him. So that one, you could probably share the mistake if we're looking at it as a mistake now, which I think it has to be. Um, another mistake, I think, if you're going to put on him, Serge Aurier, uh, I understand he was one that that um, uh, Steve Hitchin really pushed as well. Obviously, Spurs had to essentially just push him out of the club on the end, on you know, just let him get out of his contract. Although, with hindsight, if we're going to use hindsight in the other way, probably would have been Spurs' perfect wing-back right now compared to the two they've got. <laughs> it's funny the way it works. Um, so, yeah, it's a funny one with Steve Hitchin. It really is. I, I do think – I don't think the pylon has ever been fair on him. I think he's a guy who, within the game, is really well-respected. Um, and everyone I've ever spoken to about him says, yeah, he's popular with players, popular with the um, staff. And, you know, it's been difficult for him, uh, from what I understand, since Paratici co- co- has come in. Obviously, there, he's his friend, so he'll have he'll have worked alongside. I know they've done a lot of the appraisals within the club and and have brought up the levels of various, like, the scouting department for future transfer windows uh, sports science analysis, all of these sort of things have all been, he's working on them. But he hasn't been doing the role that he kind of worked his way to being promoted to be. Um, and that must be pretty frustrating. I mean, I'm trying to think of some of successes as well. I mean, Lucas Mora. Lucas Mora is one that Steve Hitchin p- uh, pushed. I remember uh, Poch praising Steve Hitchin in one press conference, saying that that was on him. Um, Stephen Bergvine was one that he really pushed for. And, you know, some people will argue over whether he's been able to achieve what we want him to achieve, but that's probably down to injuries, I'd say, more than anything. I remember Mourinho um, admitting that he wasn't his first choice, but he had to give massive praise to those who recruited him because he clearly was a top player or he was going to be a top player. I think he's worked quite extensively with the, uh, the academy and the youth section as well. I think he's got a lot of belief in trying to bring the players through. And I think that's why we've seen the merits of people like uh, Oliver Skip and Jaffet Tanganga. Yes, I know he's been a bit off-colour, you know, off-key in the last few games, but Jaffet obviously was a, was a big talent for the academy. I think Steve Hitchin has played his part in pushing these players through when maybe the first-team managers might not have looked to them. And with that in mind, I'm really intrigued to know how the Italian era works, you know, the new kind of sides of things, because, you know, will Fabio Paratici, will he be a man who will be at every academy game? Will he be watching what's going on in the youth section? Will he be constantly talking to Dean Rastrick, the academy manager, or will he be someone that is purely focused on, on getting those deals, getting those bargains, getting those signings that he has in previous places? And uh, Spurs, yeah, I think... We, we look at kind of what had been assembled during the Poch era, the people behind the scenes and the squad actually on the pitch. So much of that has gone, you know, and now we'll get to see whether that's a good thing, whether they needed a new break from everything to reach a new level or whether they've lost that little bit of connection to what was maybe becoming good about the club. It'll be interesting to see. Um yeah, no, I'm fascinated to see where it goes from here. But uh, 
Yeah, an interesting character. Like I said, I'd never liked the pile on on him. Well, you and I are both the same. I think it's the same with players. When people pile on someone, use them as a scapegoat, 99.9% of the time, it's a load of rubbish. And it, there's really no balance to it whatsoever. And uh, I just wonder whether he's one of these characters, Steve Hitchin, that they might reassess his time in the future and look back at kind of things. And, you know, this guy, sporting directors at Tottenham Hotspur don't last long. He outlasted every single one they've had before. You know, you look at they had, God, who do they have? Uh, Paul Mitchell, Baldini, Comley, Arneson. They've gone through these names and he lasted the, the longest time. And, and clearly that can't have been because he was just some daft clown in the background. And I hate it. I hate it. You know, it's just rubbish. That, that's not the case. So, uh, no, I'm fascinated to see what happens next with Tottenham and how a fully Fabio Paratici, um, Paratici. Oh, you've got me saying his name wrong again. Paratici. <laughs> a Fabio Paratici's Tottenham is going to look like. Yeah, in regards to Hitchens' January transfer comments, you know, it is such a difficult window to operate in. I mean, look at this year, how how many of the top six clubs bought, was it Spurs, Man City brought one in, Liverpool signed Diaz. Can I just say, because you've you've jogged my memory, January transfer windows, we're going to talk about that. Jensen Fernandes, you know, some people might look at that and think, oh, another Steve Hitchin rubbish purchase. No, Jensen Fernandez was a desperation January buy of uh, Jose Mourinho and Jorge Mendes both pushing it essentially towards the club. And they essentially said, yeah, okay then, because it was uh, it didn't cost them a lot. So, yeah, that's another one I've seen linked with him. And also, I see randomly people shoving um, Nkudu and Ng at him. It was like, it wasn't even his time. <laughs> it's, it's like, at least, at least get the players right when he was there. Um, yeah. And actually, way in the past, I think he was responsible for broken deals for Suar- for Modric at Spurs, yeah. Suarez at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't like the way social media piles on. Sorry, I interrupted your very good point about the only transfer windows. Yeah, as I was saying, it's just such a difficult window to operating so you can see it from his perspective as well trying to work in January when not a lot of players are available and those who are are for big money as well it's just a real shame that as you mentioned Bruno Fernandes Dybala Jack Grealish Spurs didn't get those deals over the line because we could be talking about a different Tottenham now especially in a summer when they needed to kick on as part of this painful rebuild Uh, Maurizio Pochettino uh, alluded to a few months before his exit. So with Hitchin as well. club that hasn't made transfer mistakes as well? No, every, every yeah. club does. Every yeah. single club does. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. This, this kind of feeling that everything's always greener. Every other club doesn't do this. So like, of course they don't. And especially a club that's like Spurs, who there's more of a belief in gambling on players, young players, and you don't know which way they're going to turn their, their career and stuff. And we're, we're seeing that with this window now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Hitchin does go, obviously with those links with Everton and Newcastle uh, in terms of Everton. Obviously, don't want to turn this into golden guest talk Everton. but <laughs> Your dream. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day, maybe ahead of the uh, Everton game in March. But if, if he is coming to Goodison Park, then I think you've got to let him do his job because Everton had Marcel Brands as obviously sporting director. He left uh a few months back and he wasn't allowed to obviously bring in his manager in the summer. Mashiri, the majority shareholder, wanted Benitez instead and there was a few signings 
that weren't brand. So if Hitchin is to go somewhere, you want him to go somewhere where he can do what he wants and have his say. So, yeah. There's a bit of money there, isn't there? I mean, if they were to sort yeah. out the financial fair play issues, get rid of a few players, there's a bit of money at Everton. And obviously Newcastle is a lot of money. So I think it does that also says something that two clubs with potentially bigger funds maybe than Tottenham trust would, would trust him. You know? I've got a question for you, right? Go on then. Will Fabio Paratici become the next recruitment scapegoat? Will he be turned on? I think I'm starting to see it happening already. Yeah, I've noticed that recently. Uh, obviously, we do Q&As at Football.London and a few have yeah. been asking about his uh, recruitment and have said a number of times he was never going to solve all the problems in one transfer window. Yeah, yeah you are going to have hits and misses. But look, he's brought in potentially one of the best defenders in the world in Christian Romero. Uh, there's a really good player, a young player in Brian Hill moved on a lot of players who needed to be moved on both in the summer and January so you got to give him credit for that which is right something to... we told he wasn't that great at Juventus yeah. so has he fixed that side of his you know his transfer gurus yeah so I think there's been a few good signings obviously there's been a lot of young players coming in Brian Hill we've not seen the best of him so far but he's early what 21 22 if that is he 19 Who's that, Brian Hill? Brian Hill. He's only 20. young, isn't he? 20. Yeah. Nearly there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's the same with every club. Someone is going to obviously be the scapegoat. Hopefully it isn't with uh, Piratici and hopefully these two signings that came in in January do the business for Tottenham and potentially we could see hopefully at least one of them on Saturday against Brighton in the FA Cup. Out of the two would be Dejan Kulusevski. Uh, Rodrigo Bentenker has been playing for Uruguay this week on international duty. In terms of Conte's Tottenham team then, we've not had a game for quite a while now, a couple of weeks. Is he going to go full strength, do you think, against Brighton or will it be a bit of a mixture? I think he go full strength, um, yeah. which... <laughs> <laughs> right now, it ironically contains none of the new signings. Um, but this is the thing I'm kind of quite excited about, is that we've so rarely got to see Conte have his strongest eleven. You know, it's like since he's come in, he's had either various players injured or, or there's been COVID issues in the camp. And, you know... To have that back three, which will be his first choice back three of Romero, Dyer, and Davies, it's going to be really interesting. It's a really well balanced back three. It's got two players on either side that can get up the pitch and join in the attack. I know you love Romero's jaunts up the pitch. Uh, you've got Eric Dyer, who, you know, we started to see a little bit more of that when he returned for Chelsea, just those pinged kind of diagonal balls that he adds to the wing backs. Um, and we'll have a front three of Kane, Son and Lucas again. Um, you know, Romero is the one I think that particularly excites me because you can tell Conte is excited about him. And for Conte to get excited about a player must be a good one. And, and I get the sense from everything I've heard that he's going to really build that defence around Romero. You know, Romero would have to have the stinker of all stinkers of the second half of the season to not have Spurs uh, trigger that option to buy him. Um you know, that, that's going to happen. He's going to be one of the best. 
Um, just the aggression. I think that's the one thing they're going to have to keep an eye on, that, that ability to pick up a yellow and potentially a second yellow. Um, but yeah, now I'm excited to see that. You've got Hugo Lloris with a new contract. You've got Skip and Hoybier and Winks will all be pushed on by Benton Kerr's arrival. There's a real need for them now to all perform and not rest on their laurels. Kulisevsky, I think, will do the same probably for Lucas. I think Lucas has been, I mean, to be fair, Sonny has dipped in consistency as well at times, but I think Sonny's, you know, I I could be out of line here, but I'd probably say if you have to pick between the two, Conte would probably pick Son over Lucas in terms of the importance of them. And I think that means that Kulisevsky and Bergwijn, let's not forget him, are going to push Lucas. I genuinely think Steven Bergwijn, if he can stay injury-free, could have a big impact on the second half of the season. I do. I think he was phenomenal, you know, in those late moments against Leicester. But I also felt against Chelsea, he was a real bright spark in a on a day where there weren't too many. Um, his ability to hold up the ball, twist and turn, get up the pitch, dribble past people. Um, I think it'll be it could be a really big time for him. Um, and I think Conte showing that he wanted to keep him and not let Ajax, you know, they rejected a bid for Ajax as well. I think that should show a lot for him as well, that the club really want him and and Conte wants him as well. So there are attacking options, you know. The problem will be, of course, if there's injuries or another COVID outbreak, um, that bench is going to be very (laughs) academy-based if that happens. Um, To be fair, Conte wanted a squad that had two in every position and barring stupid striker position, he does have one uh, back up in every single role. But of course, as we've said, Kulisevsky and Bergwin can be that backup as a, for the striker. Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess no European football, that's going to play its part. It means slightly less numbers are needed. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm always knackered when the transfer window ends. And then about the day after, I start kind of really looking forward to the second half of the season. I think that's where I'm at now. And I think with everything I hear about Conte and how brilliant he is on the on the training pitch and how much you can see him improving players in the moment when they're on the pitches, he's just so, you know, one of the most gifted coaches. If he can bring that to this group of players and that starting 11 with a few sprinklings of the other people that will be on the bench can absolutely smash it, there's no reason Tottenham can't improve on my kind of predicted fifth place. Like they... It's kind of in their hands, really, to go even higher than that. Yeah, it's the uh, start of a, a big month for Tottenham. Obviously, yes. following Saturday's FA Cup game against Brighton, two more home games in the Premier League against Southampton and Wolves, and the way trip to Man City the following week. We now have another date in the calendar for in the way trip to Turf Moor for that rearranged Burnley game. That is Wednesday, February 23rd, I believe, and then... Three days later, they're at Ellen Road to take on Leeds United. So, start of a, a big month for Tottenham and hopefully we will be talking next week about uh, Tottenham's place in the FA Cup fifth round. So, I think we'll leave it there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham. Plenty to discuss in terms of incomings and outgoings in the transfer market. Steve Hitchens' exit and then Saturday's FA Cup game against Brighton. So, as ever, thank you for listening and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.